Oh, my dear God, I forgot her. He's out of his mind. Who's Alicia? A robot. She's a woman. Corey, she's a robot. She's a woman. We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room if you dare. Welcome back to Strange Highways. I hope that you guys got out of your uh, deals with the devils. and Or if you didn't, I hopefully maybe you're still living forever and you can listen to the show still. Um, I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And uh, welcome to this episode. I'm really excited to talk about this. I have uh, deep personal relation feeling ties to this. So this one's been one I've been looking forward to since we started the series. Yeah, this is a good one. This, uh, this might be my favorite so far, not to uh, spoil how i feel about it but i really enjoyed this one. Oh, awesome i like i i'll be honest like on the rewatch of it i still like this episode a great deal i think i like more the idea of it than i do necessarily the execution of it um but i think we'll get more into that soon so i like so there's some of it that i'm just like i don't know about this anymore but i love the idea so much and i love uh uh the main actor uh jack warden i feel like he really kept the episode together so anyway we'll we'll, we'll talk more about that in a second um our our destination today is the lonely uh air date is uh november 13th 1959 a day in which nothing happened at all yeah I, I couldn't find anything about this day i was uh i was digging pretty deep too so yeah i mean clearly all that happened was that at uh 10 o'clock at night on friday the twilight the 13th. Zone played, and that's it yeah yeah friday the 13th <laughs> there you go <laughs> um so as and, and as always as we know the number one film in the country is pillow talk number one song is mac the knife just got to bring that up just to remind people you sure it's not ben hur well oh is that ben hur finally it might be ben hur finally oh I think. okay um well if it is I know that was going to be number one for a bit, and I, maybe I got my dates mixed up there. But I know Mac the Knife was still the number one song for like the next six years or something. Yeah, well, yeah. we know that one for okay. sure. Um, but if it's, <laughs> if it's been her, song. good. <laughs> it's official theme song of uh, Strange Highways is Mac the Knife. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, other than that stuff, I mean, like uh, the, the episode aired, and I, I guess life went on normally, and nothing else spectacular happened. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll jump right into the cast and crew. Um, this episode was directed by Jack Smite, which I was pretty excited when I was flipping through his filmography because he's done a bunch of stuff that I really, really love. Um, <laughs> besides this episode of Twilight Zone, he did three other episodes. Um, he also directed a great adaptation of uh, um, Bradbury's Illustrated Man. I don't yeah. know if you've seen that. I did see it. I actually happened to catch a 16-millimeter print of it. Or is it, how, is it 16 that yeah. they play at Cinema Wasteland? So other than the sound being a bit loud and piercing at times, uh, especially during the rain, during that, that, that um, they're on that planet where it kept raining the entire time, that rainfall got to me after a while. But otherwise, it was a wonderful movie. Well, that's why you got to sit towards the back at those screenings because <laughs> yeah. he has that thing cranked because that room is huge. And it's like one tiny little like 
speaker. <laughs> yeah, and that rain went on for like it was like the middle third of the movie, so it just kept pounding, and it was just uh, you know, I was I was about to lose interest there, but I, I stuck it out, and it's it's a, it was a really cool movie, and yeah, it was neat that Smite did the Twilight Zone and also a Bradbury movie starring Rod Steiger, who went on to be in the Twilight Zone the movie, and that didn't turn out so well. Yeah. Um, yeah, we made that mistake of sitting close to the speaker during a 60 millimeter screening at Wasteland for uh, shockwaves. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but the no. soundtrack is basically like loud screeching noises. <laughs> it, was, it was the worst. Um, but besides that, he directed Airport 1975, which I'm a big fan of. Um, Damnation Alley, which they also screened at uh, Cinema Wasteland here yeah, in Cleveland. I, I missed that one. I wanted to see it. Yeah, it's it's not too good, but it's there's some fun <laughs> stuff. <laughs> um, we saw the test print screening at our friend's house, the one that they played at Wasteland. And then, uh, strangely enough, in the 80s, he directed number one with a bullet with Robert Carradine and Billy D. Williams. Nice. And that's a canon yeah. film, right? What is that? That's a canon film. Yes. Yeah. Oh. It's uh, There is some real goofy stuff going on in that well, that's why I asked, because I know most canon films are just like, we got to get it done yesterday. And they're like, but we don't have a script. It's like, it doesn't matter. Just go. And yeah. So, yeah. I think it was, it's still on Netflix right oh, now. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Um, I know. Yeah, you should check it out. I know Airport 75. I read a little bit about it being one of the highest grossing movies of that year, but also one of like the most critically hated movies of the year, too. <laughs> so I like the entire airport series because there was a bunch of them. Well, um, like those big, um, big disaster movies were like that was huge in the 70s right like uh that and like towering yeah, inferno. Poseidon adventure towering inferno um roller coaster the swarm which, if you haven't yeah. seen roller coaster you gotta check that one out <laughs> I, i've not seen that one no does it it's, break it's free insane it's like it's like a, dis- a disaster film that turns into dirty harry huh it, it's incredible um but yeah I, I, that was all i really saw in his uh filmography that spoke to me well, I know you were really excited last week when you started reading through. You're like, oh, it's Jack Smite. And I'm like, who? And then you were just, I know you're really excited. So I'm glad that this guy's, he's directed a lot of things you've liked, but you not, I don't know if you'd argue that a lot of it's good. It's just that he has, I don't know. He's kind of known more for making money, but not, not, not making art, you know? So yeah, which um, I'm totally okay with. If you listen to my <laughs> other podcast, <laughs> we talk mostly about movies that were made for money and not for art. <laughs> That's funny. That's true. So, all right. Um, um yeah. yeah and written by Rod Serling again. Um, and then the cast, we got Jack Warden playing James A. Corey who uh, was in Problem Child, one other Twilight Zone episode, and uh, another 12 Angry Men cast member. Yeah. I feel like we've had the entire cast of that movie featured on our show so far. Well, I mean, there's 12 of them, so, I mean, there's op- ample opportunity. Uh, yeah. And and I know he was also one of his last film appearances was in a comedy called Dirty Work. That's a guilty pleasure movie of mine with Norm MacDonald and Artie Lang. Um, and that movie is not good, but it makes me laugh really hard. So it was fun to see him play like the the father figure that needed the heart transplant. And he was just a dirty old man. So um, he's uh, Jack Warden's really good at being like antagonistic and like just being abrasive. And that was like the perfect role for him. So, yeah. Um, and then beyond him, we have John Denner as Captain Allenby, which when you first hear his name, I had no idea what Corey was yelling. (laughs) I was so confused. I was like, what is he yelling across the desert? Um, he was in two other Twilight Zone episodes and I recognized him from Airplane 2. Yes, he was the, um, was he one, was he the captain of the, of the, the, the spaceship? 
or was he I, or I can't remember. Yeah, I believe okay. so. OK, um, I, I recognize his face. And as soon as it popped up as airplane, Two, I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's what it is. And well, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I don't know if you had any other information about him because I have a couple interesting facts about him as well. Uh, he's the commissioner, so he's oh. not the captain. But all right, I just I very I vaguely remember airplane too. I remember when I say spaceship, it was a space shuttle, and I remember William Shatner was in it for like a little bit too. That's all I really remember about airplane too. <laughs> um, so he actually was an animator on Fantasia and Bambi. I thought that was kind of interesting, and he had bit parts in Slaughterhouse Five. And the boys from Brazil, which is that that movie about how all the Germans left, all the Nazis left after World War II down to Brazil, and they're cloning, like, or raising like Hitler's children. It's yeah, like that big sci-fi movie. Yeah, that movie has been on my list to watch for like years. Yeah, that's, have, that's kind of the one. Yeah, that's that's I know people mention it, it often, and I just, I haven't seen it either. It has Steve Gutenberg in it too, which I didn't know that. That seems kind of uh, maybe that was before Police Academy, before his. So uh, weird thing, yeah. Steve Gutenberg is also in Roller Coaster. Oh well, there you go. There, that's I did, there's your roller coaster connection. I didn't know that was a. Uh, I like that. Um, and then we have Alicia, who is Jean Marsh, um, who is an officer of the Order of the British Empire. I didn't know if he knew that. So no, she's I actually. Um, I don't know if it, she's not knighted, but she's part of their official empire. She's still alive too. Oh. Um, the only thing I saw. Have you ever seen the Changeling? She was in that. Uh, I have that noted here. I think I've seen it a long time ago. Is, that, is, is George C. Scott in that? Yes. Okay. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Well, that's one of my favorite ghost movies, so I was excited to see that. Yeah. Um, then the only other person I was going to bring up was Ted Knight, who has a very small bit role as uh, Adams, one of the astronauts that comes to the asteroid. Um, and... I basically only know him from Caddyshack. I'm sure there's other stuff I've seen him in, but I was so excited because I couldn't place it while I was watching the episode, and I was like, oh, shit, it's the judge. <laughs> and I found out that uh, he was the narrator of the Super Friends TV show. Oh, was he? So the whole, meanwhile, that was him. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's your cast, a really small cast for, for a very good reason because it takes place on an asteroid with nobody around. Yep. Um, so how many people can you sneak onto an asteroid that's supposed to be 9 million miles away from Earth? You know, not not much chance for guest stars when you do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. So uh, let's just uh, go ahead. We'll, we'll get into the episode proper here. Uh, I have the Serling narration as usual, and then we'll get right into it. Witness, if you will, a dungeon made out of mountains, salt flats, and sand that stretch to infinity. The dungeon has an inmate, James A. Corey, and this is his residence, Metal Shack. An old touring car that squats in the sun and goes nowhere, for there is nowhere to go. For the record, let it be known that James A. Corey is a convicted criminal placed in solitary confinement. Confinement in this case stretches as far as the eye can see because this particular dungeon is on an asteroid nine million miles from the Earth. Now witness, if you will, a man's mind and body shriveling in the sun. A man dying of loneliness. (laughs) 
that that was a little bit longer as in, in the episode and he was honking a horn and he was just doing stuff and I that horn honk was really really loud so I didn't want to like kill people if they're listening to the episode so I cut all that out so yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's that's uh the the basics there the our main character is uh imprisoned on this asteroid and his whole punishment is that he's supposed to just exist and to be lonely well not to yeah, be lonely for, but to be alone yeah yeah for 50 years yeah so my question to you before we get to this uh, deep um the last episode we saw was the escape clause where the guy was given immortality and then was put in prison and felt that he couldn't handle it. So he asked to be released early, you know, so to speak. And then this next one, a guy is also imprisoned with a life sentence and he's, and all he is, is, you know, he's just lonely. So again, it feels like Sterling was like, Oh wait, wait, life in prison. I got another story for another idea for a story. And he just, just runs off to this one. Cause they all seem like they're very connected to each other as you go in sequence. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know the order that he wrote these in, but I saw that this was the second episode shot um, oh. next to the pilot. I did not know so, that. Yeah, so this was this was one of the ones he showed to investors to get them to invest in the show. So, I mean, it, this was one of the, like, real early ones, but it aired seventh for some reason. Hmm. Well, it just feels weird because of, like, the, the episode previous and then this one, and then the next one also deals with, like, you know... Um, just wanting like one the idea of being in prison forever it was terrifying and this one i'm okay with being in prison i'm just alone and then the next one is i just wish i had some time to myself it just seems very thematically all tied together and i just I, I, it feels like that would be written like near each other you know yeah but that's okay. well i feel like this is also kind of a spiritual successor to uh where is everyone or where is everybody yeah um just because that one you're kind of testing the limits of um, someone's seclusion like that, and this one, there is someone alone for fifty years on a basically a planet, you know, yeah, outside of Earth. So I, f- I feel like it's almost like a sequel to that episode. No, that makes sense. I mean, it feels like uh, that that was kind of hinting at like what would someone do in isolation? How long would it take for them to crack? And then you have like, well, this guy's not in a such a small box, but pretty much the same thing. Yeah, that makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the whole thing starts off with him just kind of minding his business. Like you know, he honked a horn on a car that he built just to, just to pass the time. Um, and then our rocket men show up, uh, that they show up periodically to bring supplies, which thankfully, cause I have no idea how that guy has functioning water in his shack on this asteroid, 9 million miles away from earth. And electricity. And electricity. And he's got a working fridge apparently. And a breathable atmosphere and gravity is relative to the same of earth. By the way, yeah. um, and a day night cycle. Especially on an asteroid, like there is no gravitational pull on that. Like everything should just be floating away. Right. It's only. I think they said it's only like nine miles. Yeah, it's not a very big, uh, big yeah. thing. Yeah, you're right. But it's just. Uh, but I, I'll give credit to Serling though. Like I, when he said nine million miles away from home, I was like, where is that exactly relative to Earth? And it is. It's it's kind of on within the middle of the the major asteroid belt between like uh, Jupiter and Saturn. So. He was dead on, at least in terms of like location, just not everything else, which who can blame him? We hadn't been out there. So, um, yeah, who but, knows? Yeah. Right. So anyway, um, he gets excited because the rocket men show up and, and they're like, hey, we only got 15 minutes and we got to leave, which that seems like 
I don't understand how rockets and everything works, but 15 minutes seems like a very small window, and you think you would have spent most of that time by landing the thing. Um, but they were kind of nonchalant coming up to him talking, and he was just really, really excited and wanted just to play cards or chess or checkers or whatever it was that he made. I'm not quite clear what that board was that he had. I think it was checkers just using, like, nuts and bolts as yeah. the different colors. Um <laughs> Yeah, well, the 15 minutes thing kind of makes sense because if they are landing on an asteroid, I mean, the thing's moving pretty fast and you might only have a small window of time before you have to get off of it, you know? That's that's true. I just, I just like, from the distance that the rocket landed into when they walked up, I'm like, that was probably <laughs> longer than 15 minutes, though. Like, that's what it felt like. Could have just landed a little bit closer. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's nothing else there, you know. But Then that, they could have at least got one game of checkers in with right. them. <laughs> um, I... Um, I got I got a screenshot of that that checkers board because it was confusing as to what was going on with it. I'll, I'll put it up on the webpage later. Uh, but I like the effect of the rocket landing. Um, I'm sure that was ripped from another show or something. But it was like it was it it worked. I thought that was kind of kind of cool. To actually well, see the, the effect thruster. is probably why they were so far away, so you couldn't see it up close. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's our answer. Whatever do you mean? Yeah, that makes sense. So. Um, like, do you get the idea that he like so they 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 hint at like he killed somebody, and he said it was self defense. Like, my question is, do you do you believe him, or like because it just it doesn't really ever get you never get the idea across that like he's a good man. Well, I feel like by design you're led to believe him, and I, I got to trust Serling on that because immediately you're introduced to him and he's on this. Uh, they shot this in Death Valley, by the way. Um, and just looking at the setting, you already feel bad for the guy finding out that he's imprisoned on this asteroid that's just basically nine miles of desert every way you go. Um, so I feel like by design, you're led to feel sympathy for this character. Well, so I, I would say I believe him. I, I think I do. Well, it feels, and I love yeah. how they give you like just enough into his backstory. Yeah, I, I, like, but I feel like whenever he starts talking to the companion later... There's some weird animosity there, but I don't know if it's just because of his his occupation there or um, there was something else that happened in his past because it seemed very – there was a little bit of, like, darkness to to the fact that of all the things they could – well, I'm jumping ahead – that it was a woman that they that was there, you know? Yeah. So, anyway, sorry. I, I jumped ahead to the story, but um, I, just, I was just wondering if you felt that he was innocent or not because um, – I don't know. Like, I, I, I mean, I want to believe it too because it feels like Allenby believes him because he's the like. It seems like he's the closest thing he has to a friend there that brings him supplies and then some just to try to help him out. Yeah. So but, yeah, I feel like by design you're meant to believe him, but that Serling could be playing a trick on us. So. <laughs> he so, tends to do that quite a bit. So then he he's telling the guards, the, the other the other two, um, not guards, but um, the other guys there that he's so. Uh, sick of this loneliness that you know it just sounds like this is this thing that's weighing down on him and my question to you is like if he if it was that bad and it was like the sentence is that bad like ultimately why did he not like kill himself because it seems like it was hell on earth for him and except for these three month stints where these guys would show up for a little bit of time well a dumb answer is then we wouldn't have this episode <laughs> um <laughs> it'd just be a half hour of a skeleton and a car and that's it like, that would be land they're like oh 
Oh, oh he's gone. All right. Let's let's go <laughs> on to the we next don't one. Stop here every three months. Oh, free checker set. Let's go. You know. Um. So because it just sounded like he was he was being really dramatic about how like all the days blur together and he keeps a count of them, and I think he keeps a count of them just to let himself know that a day passed as opposed to you know counting down to the end of his sentence. Yeah. And I don't know what I would do with that kind of time. You know, I mean, clearly, I mean, he has a fridge that works. He has a beer. It looked like he had a beer in his fridge, which it seems kind of kind of weird. He's telling him he had a, a beer. I don't know how long he keeps his beer for. Um, and he has plenty of books. I don't I don't know how how terrible it really is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's hard. It's it's hard to put yourself in that position. I mean, <laughs> have you ever been alone for four years without any human contact? Like, it's, it's kind of hard to even think about that. You know, That's like I love being alone. Sometimes I, you know, like it's great, but four years of it, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to say what I would do in this position. But again, you, you, you grab I do a feel volley, volleyball, make it your friend. You know, you start making some <laughs> weird decisions. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess I see your point. Uh, um. But you're. It was smart of Serling to get you, like already in his mind space. And then when these guys show up, it, like the look on his face is almost like like a dog seeing his like his uh, owners come home. Like yeah. how he just shot up and got, and then went around cleaning up his place real quickly. And he's like, I'm going to have company. I'm going to have company. And it was like, really like, I give credit to, to him that you really got that like idea of like, he was really excited. And that, that was, you know, very sad when you realize that they're like going to be there for a minute or two and then they're on their way. Yeah. I love all the performances in this episode. Um, I, Alan B. I really, really enjoyed his performance in this as well. Um, because he's kind of the only one. The rest of the crew um, was Adams, who uh, T- Ted Knight plays. He's just pissed off that he has to keep coming back to this. Because I guess by taking three, uh, was it four trips there a year? Is that what it was? Yeah, every, yeah, every three months. Um, it takes up eight months or something of his year. So he says sometimes he comes back and his kids don't even recognize him, and so he just. You can tell there's some sort of uh, like disdain for uh, um, Corey's character, and uh, so like the other two astronauts that land don't really like him. They're just there. They're just doing their job, you know. Yeah. But Alan B really sits down with him and tells him he's like, "Hey, like I'm doing the best I can to help you out. I can't bring you freedom." Um, and I, I really liked. There was a lot of sympathy with his character towards Corey. Yeah. I mean, the fact they brought him books and was like trying to keep him abreast of like, hey, the pardon that you asked for didn't go through. Um, I, I and basically him saying, I don't agree with this type of imprisonment or not him, but he's saying there's a lot of movement on Earth uh, where it's it's like this type of imprisonment, not just for Corey, but for other similar prisoners like him, because I guess just every asteroid has a lonely guy on it, which I mean that, you know, I guess if you're going to take prisoners and put them on asteroids, I guess just keep them all in a group. I don't know. Um but they they travel and that's that's what they do. They just like tend to all these guys that are like given this isolation treatment and how Earth is like starting to come around on that. Which, I, but you you said so before the show that you tried looking up um, uh, prison reform information around the time uh, to see if maybe there was some type of theme there because I know in the early prison system all they really would do is lock people up and isolate them and actually make them serve time without connection with people and they would go nuts and they'd come out way worse than they went in. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to see if there was like some sort of push to end that. Um, I mean, the research is uh, there's so much; it's so vast on just uh, on prisons around this time that I just did not have the time to go through. I could have read dissertation after dissertation, but um, 
yeah, I couldn't find anything that said like 1959 or 58 was a really pivotal time. I saw there was a few prison riots around then, but it doesn't really have much to do with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's that's fair. I mean, uh, I just at the time, I know that there was a lot more focus, or there was the beginning of focus on rehabilitation as opposed to just like punishment. And, yeah, and maybe that's. I mean, but I I don't know if that's what Sterling was going for. I think he was more going for the whole idea of like when someone is completely told that they're going to be removed from humanity, they lose a little bit of it. But then when they're given the hope of of a little spark of it, like how do they respond to it? I think yeah. that's kind of what, and you know, and what it is to be human, which we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah. Um, so Alan B. felt sympathy for him, uh, and he brought him something. And it was this large box that he made the other guys bring out off the ship, which I thought was funny. He's like, go get the box. And it's like they're like they're complaining the entire time dragging this thing back. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, he, he told him like, hey, don't open this until I leave because I don't want people knowing what you have. Because basically it sounds like he broke a lot of rules to bring this out to him. And that, that shows you how much he does care about this guy's mental stability. Yeah. Um, I, lo- I love how after the guys leave, they're like, yeah, we got to go. Um I love how uh, Corey runs to the window and thanks him for his decency. Yeah. Yells it out. And the guys are like, what's in that box? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, before we leave leave those guys, I loved their football helmets that were space helmets. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And also, like, what was up with the aluminum circle on their sleeves? Like, there was just a silver circle, and that's all it was. There's no logo, no nothing. It was just like someone took, like, a piece of aluminum foil, cut a circle out, and taped it to a sleeve, and be like, you're a spaceman now. And it was like, <laughs> and then they all had handguns. I don't know, what, like, what, what uh, terrors you're going to find in space. Maybe, well, if, maybe the if other they're visiting all the yeah. uh, people on the different asteroids, I mean, some of them could be violent offenders, you know? That's fair. It just, like, it just felt really like an odd collection of, like, what you'd wear as a spaceman. I don't know. It just felt kind of kind of funny. And then the one of them brought cigarettes with them, of course. So so there was yeah. one space cigarette. That's my count for the week. One space cigarette. <laughs> um so yeah, anyway. Um the box. The, what's in the box? Uh well, he, yeah, I love ahead. I love the answer that Allenby gives the one guy. He's like, "So what's in that box?" And all he tells him is maybe it's an illusion or maybe it's salvation. <laughs> yeah, it's like could you be any more like v- vague? Like if I was working with him, I'd be like, "Just like, dude, just tell me what is it." And be like, <laughs> like, like, that's some bullshit. What is that answer? <laughs> it's like I don't like what. What is it? Like I just a uh, bunch of cigarettes. Like I don't and booze. Like I don't know. But uh, yeah, so it was just uh, funny that it t- he, took him three months to fly there, and that's the only answer he gets. <laughs> yeah, I'd be mad about that. I would ask more questions. I'd pester him all the way home on that one. Though, so in the grand scheme of things, uh, <laughs> I like the quote within the episode though yeah no it worked it's just but you're right like in terms of like a day-to-day workplace thing it's like you got to give me a better answer than that you know um so so they leave um and then Corey, he, he also told Corey, he's like hey if you open this it's like it will take care of itself uh, I, I thought that was a smart way of certainly just being like just whatever open it and it'll, it'll come out and it'll, it's, it's going to be air activated whatever it is um which i thought was just a convenient way of being like you don't have to assemble this thing it, is, it just it just shows up um and there's a really good shot of him opening the box and looking in and then his reaction to what it is and we don't see it until you know it's out and functioning um i thought that was really really cool yeah yeah it really creates uh some sort of tension i guess yeah and then i have um i have him reading out the instructions or the beginning of the instructions. So nice. uh, this is going to be the first of some great dialogue. So here we got this. You are now the proud possessor of a robot built in the form of a woman. 
To all intent and purpose, this creature is a woman. Physiologically and psychologically, she is a human being with a set of emotions and a memory track. The ability to reason, to think, and to speak. She is beyond illness, and under normal circumstances, should have a lifespan similar to that of a normal human being. Her name is Alicia. My name's Alicia. What's your name? Alicia and robots. <laughs> I, I I'm in my notes for this episode. I think I wrote robot like eight <laughs> times. Every time they said it, I was just like robot. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I, I have to admit that I like um because the very intro of the show, it's like he uh, Alan B. And we get to the end of, end of the episode of the Twilight Zone where he's like. He's talking about uh, her being a, a robot, and um, and Corey's like saying, "No, she's a woman," and he's like, "No, she's a robot." So I I, I now have this forever. A robot. I just I like I just I uh, just want to always just let everyone know it's a robot. So I, that'll we got to keep that one on rotation too. <laughs> yes, it's just like because there's going to be more episodes with a robot that we got to just like talk about. So um, I I feel like this is one of those episodes that I almost wish that. I feel like the idea was bigger than the 20 minutes it was given to be completed. Yeah. Um, Though, like I said, he does a good job, as he usually does, of pacing it out and really just giving you enough to understand what's happening and getting an idea of what he was going for. And every time I see an episode like this from Serling, it's just so impressive to me. It's like, man, with 20 minutes, you did this. Like, it's just mind-blowing. No, and you're right. Like, I just... um, it's a three act story that has a character development and resolution and it introduces some, even now, like, I mean, I guess maybe not even now because I mean, we, we have the semblance of artificial intelligence all the time with our smartphones and Siri and, and all this other stuff around us all the time. So I guess it's not something that we're, that we don't find, um, uncommon now. Uh, but the idea, well, you can't cuddle with Siri though. No, I mean, (laughs) for now, you know, I like. I, did you did you watch her at all? Which, no, I, I know quite a bit about it, but yeah, I I, wa- I watched it. the first half of it. It's not because I mean it was really good. I just started to fall asleep. And I didn't get back to it. But interesting idea, you know, of someone falling in love with an operating system. Which I mean, let's be honest. Like this, this is what this is. You know, like he at first was like, I you know I don't how like basically it was almost like he viewed it as being like cruel that he'd be given this this thing that looks like a woman. Yeah, I think he says it's like a reminder of his loneliness. Yeah, I have I have two two quotes here, and, and uh, I'll play them back to back because I can't remember. One of them I think says something along that line. Why didn't they build you to look like a machine? Why didn't they build you out of metal with bolts and wires and electrodes and things like that? Well, I just like the way he said electrodes and things like that. All right, and then we got <laughs> this one too. You're just like this heap. A hunk of metal with arms and legs instead of wheels. But this heap doesn't mock me the way you do. It doesn't look at me with make-believe eyes or talk to me with a make-believe voice. Well, I'm sick of being mocked by the memory of women. And that's all you are. A reminder to me that I'm so lonely, I'm about to lose my mind. Yeah, there you go. That's the one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think that was interesting that like he had like that, that brief bit of like, you know, go away from me. Like, I don't like I've already given up this part of my existence and I can't. I can't let myself even believe that this this uh, robot is, you know, a person and to even begin to let myself feel again, you know, and I thought that was an interesting reaction to her to start. Yeah. And then it, 
more interesting, she ends up crying and he apologizes to like, her. Like immediately. <laughs> like, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, uh, he but, does the whole thing about like, can you feel? And then he, he kind of like, you know, asks her all that stuff, you know? Yeah. But it, the decision to have the robot cry this early, it, it's like immediately pulls you and you're like, well, I mean, it's a robot, but still. like, <laughs> Yeah. I just um, I, I wrote in my notes. I was like, oh, she started to cry and I put in parentheses leaks fluid question mark. Like, because uh, he threw her down to the Not ground. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, we have that brief bit, and then I think it goes to a commercial. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we skip to 11 months later. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you're not paying attention, like, because it's his narration that says what happens, like, that actually, like, at, you may miss that, like, a lot of times went by, and he's grown to be accustomed to her and actually, you know, fall in love with her. And, yeah. Um, and and basically there's that line in there about how she thinks like, she likes the things I like and all this stuff. And it's like it it's very kind of sweet, but it's also kind of very um, misogynistic where it's like, oh, she just she likes all the things I like. I'm, I feel good about this. Yeah. But it also brings into question, like, it, it, does he actually have a companion or is it just kind of like your smartphone where it learns yeah. what you like and it's just mirroring yourself? Yeah. So it, there was it kind of no brings into question yeah. it, is Alicia human or is she a robot you know like obviously she's a robot but at the end it makes you question how you should feel about uh the demise of her character yeah um, so this is the first thing that gets you to really question that because you have her crying and then you got that line about her being a reflection or a mirror of himself and uh i thought that was pretty interesting and it was interesting and then like then they're sitting out at night uh looking at the stars which i wondered if the constellations would line up exactly the same if you're nine million miles away from earth but that's just me thinking about space um and then she looks up and sees a spaceship and she said what star is that i want to be like you're a robot like you i I would think that something about me always thinks that they would have a superior intelligence i mean even my smartphone now um you hold it up and you can uh have a star map like. <laughs> yeah so i thought i was like well i was like did she not know what a spaceship is like it just felt like kind of odd that like she can function on a day-to-day basis and acknowledge his needs and wants and bring him cups of water and play games with him but like they didn't give her like innate like specific knowledge about how like you know like they didn't like, give her google yeah <laughs> you know like, it, it it felt very it felt very blade runner in the sense that she was like you know even though she's like a like a, a grown-up there's yeah, things that has yeah. some like childlike uh yeah it, um yeah yeah no i i definitely thought the same thing so um, yeah did you notice him getting a little bit creepy though like towards like the, that night or, or yeah. What? yeah yeah when they're looking at the stars like after they're like oh the ship's coming back huh that's weird they should probably be here by the morning and she goes uh well we should probably get back to the shack right and he's like no no we can stay here and does this like creepy lean back and just yeah. like stares at her <laughs> yeah see i kind of took that as like you know they're gonna be here they're gonna drop the supplies off I, i'm not as I, I'm I'm not like on the edge of my seat anymore when those guys show up. Like I'm I'm good knowing that they're coming. It's almost like, hey, your neighbors are coming over to visit. We got time. No, but, I think yeah. he's going for more of the checkers and chill thing. <laughs> checkers and chill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Because I mean, you know, you you. Like, yeah. Anyway, it's, 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 <laughs> we all know where it's going. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's it's getting into a very strange place. So uh, uh, there is a line I wanted to bring up. Um, when they're looking at the stars as well, she she says something about oh, it's God's beauty. And yeah, I was like, why is a robot bringing up God? Yeah, 
That's a weird thing, right? <laughs> I would think so too. That was a, you're right. That's a weird. Also, that kind of goes back to the whole like inherent knowledge, right? Like that felt like this. It was a weird, weird for her to if she doesn't have basic knowledge of what things are, then then how does she have the ability to wonder wonder aloud at the majestic? You know, yeah. that seems a little. But you know, I think again, I think it's because we're 50 years past this. And we have actually seen evidence of, of modern day robotics and artificial intelligence and have had more time to think about how it would be pra- practically applied. And That's so, true. So, and how many yeah. uh, movies involving androids and robots have we seen since this? Yeah. So and that, actually, you know what? That, 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 that brief aside, because I like doing these on the show. And I asked you this before the episode. I don't know if you thought of this or not. What's your what What's your favorite or one of your favorite movies or or things like that that have like an artificial intelligence or a robot companion? You know, like anything like RoboCop. Like that's I mean that's more of a guy turned into a robot. Yeah, well, I love RoboCop, but um, um, Aliens is the first one. Alien oh, and Aliens yeah. and Prometheus and all that comes to mind first. I mean, I love uh, Lance Henriksen the second one. Um, that that one comes to mind. Uh, Terminator again. I know we brought that up last week, but Terminator is one of the great robot movies. Um, I, I'm trying to think of more kind of companion stuff. Yeah, I'm having trouble thinking of anything besides like Short Circuit and like Rosie the <laughs> Robot. <laughs> Short Circuit. That's a good one. I like it. Um, I was thinking more like uh, Ex Machina. That just came out. Was it last year? Um, yeah, I still haven't seen that. Oh, it's so good. Um, it, it looks right up my alley. I don't know how I haven't seen it, but it, it's, it's one of those ones that yeah. just keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. Um, are you a fan of Westworld? Um, I know of it. I'm excited for the HBO series that's coming. Yeah, um, I need well, I need to see that a, movie. I really do because I've read a lot of Crichton, but I've not actually read that book or seen the movie. I should say. Yeah, the, there's something in the end of this that reminded me of Westworld, but um. I'm trying to think of anything else. I'm trying to think of more companion, like Iron Giant. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Bender from Futurama. I don't know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> C-3PO. Yeah, a BB-8, you know, like I just, uh, oh, uh, yeah, but I'm just like, this is but, one of those ones that you think that's more obvious to me, and I'm just, I'm drawing a blank right now. Yeah. About, um, well, I, I would say mostly the androids from Alien. Yeah. Like, because those deal with artificial intelligence and kind of like uh, some similar aspects that they deal with in this episode um did you did you watch that uh, tv series is only on for a season like last year that almost human with carl urban um, no where it was, I, it was a future I, cop partnered up with an android i kept getting frustrated with that because um there are two other movies that i really like called almost human every time i search those movies all i get is that damn tv show <laughs> so i'm like i'm not watching it out of principle it 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 struggled, of course, it didn't get renewed, but it was interesting having him have a, like an android partner that viewed himself as a person. He knew he was an android, but he had a sense of self. Well, it's and like it, Alien and Aliens, yeah, you know? exactly. Like they know yeah. they're androids, but they they're kind of okay with it. Yeah, <laughs> and in some senses, they think it's almost superior. So I, I like, um, yeah, but but yeah. So she, um, Alicia, is just I, I don't know, like. Um, I think it was more, I mean, she, she served a purpose in terms of the story. So I don't think she was so much a character. It was more, it was just, you're right. Like the way they said he was, she was a reflection of him and that served that purpose. Like we didn't need to get to know her all that well. Um, which, you know, I, I feel like there could have been a better conflict in there, but you only have 22 minutes or whatever, like 24 minutes. I saw a lot of people really praising her performance. I, I thought it was fine. I, 
she plays it well, but again, like they just don't give her enough for her to really shine with it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you felt the same way about that. No, well, I mean, if you if you tell me that she's kind of blank and robotic, then she's perfect. That's fine. You well, know? no, she like, plays that perfectly. Yeah, but like there are people saying that there was like a sadness to her. I'm like, no. I mean, I can see it at the end. Um, I read kind of comparing her to like an animal about to die. And I, I can I can almost see it. But at the same time, I'm like, I, I don't think they were going for that. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, well, let's just get to like like the, the, the sad, inevitable ending to this episode, which the twist, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so Alan B comes back um, and he's in a hurry and he tells him, like, listen, hey, your pardon went through. We're on our way. You know, we got just a couple minutes. We picked up all these other guys and all these other asteroids. You have about 15 pounds of additional space counting yourself. Let's just get going. And and so Corey doesn't process that to start, and he's like, okay, well, let me just grab you know Alicia, and then like, and that's whenever the guys, the other guys, are like, what is he talking about? And it becomes this conflict of like, you know, you 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 can't take her because she like I like how he's like she weighs more than fifteen pounds. I'm like, I'm glad that you had to say that to tell the audience. I was worried that <laughs> that no one would know that. Um, and and basically is this conundrum of like, well, okay, fine. Then when you guys you know come back. Later, we'll go then. And they're like, nope, we're shutting down the program. Everybody feels that, you know, you guys have been treated wrongly. So, like, and there was a line in there saying, um, what did Allenby say? Uh, oh, no, like Corey said, for the next poor devil that comes up here, which is a tie- throwback to the previous episode. And Allenby was like, there's not going to be anybody. You know, so uh, yeah, yeah, um, and so they basically he's like trying to convince him to take her with him. So then the the way that they solve that problem is very abrupt and sudden. Yeah. <laughs> So they <laughs> they run over to Alicia. Well, I guess uh, Corey runs over there, and he's like, "Alicia, tell tell them that you're that you're basically human. Like, speak to them, speak to." Them. And she won't say anything. And uh, Alan B decides just to pull out a gun. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and as she calls out to uh, to Corey like a few times, and he just point blank shoots her in the head. Yeah. And she kind of malfunctioned and keeps repeating his name. And I have that, because that audio was kind of creepy, so I have that. Corey. 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 A robot. All right, so there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Had to slip that one in there. (laughs) Um, But, like, so... She almost reminded me of Michigan J. Frog at the end, like that cartoon where the guy grabs the frog that dances, but only whenever he's looking at it and no one else. It's like he's running over. He's like, just tell him something. And she wouldn't say anything. And I don't know what happened. You know, it just felt like a weird thing for her to lock up. And then Alan B is like, okay, we don't have time for this. And just shoots her, which that feels like, like, I know it's a, a robot, but that feels like morally gray. But at the same time, like. I can see why he's pressured to make a decision and be like, I'm going to make a final decision so that way there's no question about what we're doing next. So it was yeah. really, really and weird. The way he uh, was all secretive about bringing it, like he can get in trouble if this robot does make it back. This robot, excuse me, um, <laughs> makes it back. So it was kind of like saving himself yeah. and explaining to Corey at the same time, like, hey, this isn't real. Like you've manufactured this companionship, you know. Um, but it brings up a great question, just uh, like, is she only a machine or is she human? Because she can put together her own thoughts and emotions. Like, it's kind of cruel that he would just shoot her in the head and basically end her life, you know? 
Well, I guess like in this, though, no, this is probably gonna be in some trouble here. So I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Like, what if they? What if he'd brought him like a robot dog as a companion, as opposed to being a person? You know. And like he would have still developed a relationship with this animal and talked to it and enjoyed life and been like, oh, I got a companion. And like, and it's like, I'm sorry, you can't bring the robot dog. He's like, but look, he, he likes me. And it's like, isn't that almost like in, I don't know, like something because of the fact that it takes the shape of a human brings into like this moral, like, you know, gray area, you know, not well, that I'm saying he should shoot a dog, but you know, it just seems like, you know, if the whole thing was to give him something to keep, to, to talk to and get his mind off of being alone. Yeah. Well, the main my main issue is that they say that she can feel pain and she has emotions and all that. And then they do that. So, I mean, if the dog robot, this hypothetical dog robot, God, (laughs) excuse me, apparently can't pronounce that. Um, So if this hypothetical dog robot can feel pain and they do the same thing, like I, I, I feel like it's kind of wrong. And also, if she has a memory track, as he said so when he's reading out loud on the, the instruction book, like, why didn't anybody occur to him, like, we'll just take her memory unit and we'll just put it into another Alicia? You know, that seems to be like, but that's me also thinking of, like, sci-fi robot tropes. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. Like, yeah, um, I, don't, I don't think he was thinking that far. But um, <laughs> but I, I just really like that question, like, it, with that. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's really jarring for Corey. Can you imagine that, like... He spent four years alone on this asteroid, and that was like the one thing he had that actually made him kind of okay with being there. And then they just like, even if he is proving it to him that it's just a robot, robot, God, um, a robot. <laughs> even if he's just proving to him, like, hey, it's not real. Like, yeah. this is all you. You know, like that's a pretty jarring way to do it. You know, like maybe just pull him onto the ship and just not shoot her in front of him yeah know? or or do the whole like which was which is what i was almost expecting like the first time you watch it where they're like okay you know what we'll figure out something and then they get her there and then they get him on the ship and then they're like by the way uh you know that's actually i lied to you you know and that whole thing of like making him believe that she's able to go along until the very last minute uh, that was kind of what I was expecting more along the lines of that, as opposed to the sudden and brutal shooting of the face, um, <laughs> which I mean, effective. And it's also a good way to end the episode. Cause it's like, guys, we got one minute left. What are we going to do? guess we're just going to shoot her in the face and be done with it. Um, yeah. but it's like, then he also raised the question too. Like he's pardoned and coming back to earth where he was, you know, convicted of murder. There's nothing guaranteeing that he's ever going to feel like he's connected to anybody else ever again. Anyway. Yeah. You know, like he's going to go back to earth and have his life and people are not going to trust him. Even though he was like, this whole thing was ended. There's always going to be that lingering question of like, did he do it or not? So is he ever going to have a significant relationship again that people don't question his motives? So he's still going to be condemned to a life of loneliness. It's just going to be around people, you know? Yeah. So that, that's my future thought. I don't know if that's thinking too much about the episode, but that's the way I kind of take it. Cause he, he, they said to him like, keep this in mind. And he's like, you're right. I have to remember this. And it was really like, you know, like I, I think he screwed him up even more than not even giving it to her to begin, giving her to him to begin with. Yeah. So anyway, good episode. Um, yeah, and I I love one of the closing lines that uh, Alan B says. And he's like, "Just remember, all you're leaving behind is loneliness." Yeah. And it, it it was such a nice like ending to the episode. It I I shouldn't say nice. It's a really depressing end to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think this ending like? feels feels more appropriate today now that there's a little bit more cynicism with um entertainment watching you know 
Like this one, this one could have been a happy ending or a happier ending, and I don't think it would have earned it. This one feels like it's not a good ending, but it's not not even a good ending is not the right word. Um, like you can see it from beginning to end and be like, you know what, I get that, and it feels yeah. yeah. No, I, I totally agree. It is uh, it, it plays really well today. Yeah, that's why. And so, um, before we get to our twist meter, and I know we're running a, a little longer here, but this is like I know we also figured that the episodes that we liked were probably going to kind of go on with more um i was telling kevin last week this episode has a personal connection to me because i had a robot no that's not what happened um i a few years ago actually about like six years ago now uh, some friends and myself competed in a short film contest for the sci-fi channel and the whole the whole thing was to submit either a sci-fi horror um fantasy movie that had to be like under eight minutes to sci-fi and they would take it and put it on their website and people would vote on it. And that was kind of like um, American Idol style where they had like a whack of like 10 of them. The winner would move on to the final and then they'd show like all six or seven of them on a TV show on sci-fi and have people vote on that. And the winners of that would have gotten the ability to make a, a sci-fi movie. So we submitted this, this short film that we made and got to the website. And so we were really close to making it to the TV show, but then lost to a cat movie of some sort. <laughs> like, I've never seen it. So I, that's how bitter I was about losing. But um, whenever we, I was trying was to come it a up, robot cat? <laughs> yeah. A robot. No, it, w- it wasn't a robot cat. Maybe it was. I don't know. I never watched it. Um, it uh, we, when I was trying to put together the script for this, I um, was like, I need something like eight minutes. What are you going to do in eight minutes to tell the whole story? Because my whole goal then, because, I mean, you've seen, I know you love horror films. I know you love sh- like some short films. I'm sure you've seen plenty that have a cool idea, but no ending. Yeah. Right. And those are probably really frustrating where it's like, man, like I know it's a short film, but you could have given me something. Yeah. Um, so my goal for this, this eight minutes was I wanted to tell a complete story in eight minutes. And I told myself, what's the best way to do that? And I went and rented a bunch of Twilight Zone DVDs from a local Hollywood video. So that tells you how long ago it was. Um, and this is one of the episodes I watched and I loved it. And I ended up writing a short film that I'm going to link on the, the show page later um, that we actually shot in black and white. And it's very similar. And I, I came up with the idea, not, I came up, it's, it's, you're going to watch this and be like, Paul, you just ripped off the lonely. I didn't rip off the lonely. I, I promise. But either way, I'm not making money off of this thing. So it was something that really affected me. And I really, really felt inspired to try to tell a complete story because of Sterling's ability to do it in 22 minutes. I was trying to do it in eight. So hopefully if you watch it, let me know what you think, but I want to put it up on the page and let people see it and they can judge it for <laughs> for what it is. <laughs> yeah, I've been um, sitting on the link you sent me until yeah. I, you uh said that it was loosely based on this episode and I was like I got to I got to wait until I see this episode. Yeah, cuz I mean it just it just felt really rewarding just cuz I mean when you try to like, like we were just talking about this episode how you have to give character beats like uh, just enough information so you get it. So how do you do that in a really small amount of time? You know, and that yeah. like, and I'm not saying you'll watch it. Maybe, maybe I'm successful. Maybe I'm not, but that was the challenge. And, and Rod Sterling was the master of it. So the lonely really helped me a lot at the time. Uh, try to try to come up with an idea. So that's why I love this episode just because it also, you know, cause it, it tied in something I did. So there we go. Yeah. Good story. Uh, Cat videos suck. I don't know what it was, but it sucks. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, the one other thing I was going to bring up, I never found a good spot to bring it up in a uh, piece of trivia. I found out that the director of photography actually collapsed from heat exhaustion and <laughs> fell from a camera crane during this episode. Wow. Yeah, it was that hot out in Death Valley, and they were not prepared for shooting out there. 
and like most of the cast and crew is just dehydrated and going through like heat exhaustion. So they ended up shooting a bunch of the interior shots in the shack on a sound stage because they had to get out of the desert. <laughs> and you can see that too, like when they go to the shack or when they're going right outside the rocket. That was definitely a sound stage. Yeah, and, yeah, and, but, yeah. And some of the, um, well, I should say, all of the sweat. It was so hot in the desert that the sweat was evaporating before they could get the camera shooting. Oh wow! So all of the sweat was synthetic that they were putting on everyone. <laughs> that's, that's a <laughs> that's weird just, problem to have you know like it's not sweaty enough out in the death valley um <laughs> yeah and the other but, piece of trivia i had that doesn't really fit into this episode at all is dealing with uh uh gene marsh uh, alicia um she was married to um well she was in the original doctor who series which was around this time uh and and then she ended up marrying the eventual third doctor so she had a lot of experience with uh sci-fi and robots later on so I thought that was interesting that she ended up having kind of a career doing, uh, you know, trippy little sci-fi things too, and, yeah. as well as being order, you know, part of the British Empire. <laughs> so, anyway, that Doctor Who knowledge. Not that anybody cares. Yeah, I don't. I don't know much. <laughs> so. <laughs> um. So yeah. Anyway, let's let's go ahead and let's get to the twist meter right now. All right. So what do you what would you give it uh, out of five? Um, again, kind of a, not really a twist, but, um, I give it three out of five because I, I really like the way that he gave something to him and then immediately took it back. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's true. That, that's yeah, you're right. That's uh, I, I'm going to give it a two. I think I'm harsher on twists than you are for some reason. Uh, because I like, and maybe, maybe because I'm colored by the fact that I've seen this one previously and I've liked it a great deal. So I already knew what was coming. Um, I, you know, the twist of him finding some humanity, like, it wasn't, re- it didn't really feel like a twist to me, but I guess the twist is more of how it was taken away suddenly. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I mean, maybe, maybe you know what, maybe I'll, I'll I'm going to flip flop here and I'll, I'll go with the three as well, because the way it ends abruptly, if this had been something I'd never seen before, I'd have been like, Whoa, that was yeah. a brutal well, ending. I had episode. never seen this before. I thought I had seen it. And uh, it started. I was like, "Nope." <laughs> and uh, yeah, that that ending is quite abrupt, and in in a good way. It's not like it's incomplete. No, uh, but yeah, it kind of took me by surprise. So, but at the same time, it's it's not really a twist. So I I can't give it a real high score. So I'll yeah. I'll go with a cop out three out of five. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, and, and again, I know we've talked about this episode at length. If you have not watched it, which I mean, I hope that you have. Um, cause I feel like there's times where I could listen to, to other podcasts about other media and not necessarily watch it. If you've not watched every episode of the twilight zone so far, I, I cannot recommend watching this one enough because it's, it's just, it feels like it's very like just everything about the twilight zone. I love, uh, you know, interesting premise, good character work and the story just zips along and it's like solid from point A to point B. Yeah. And it's really the first one that's like pure science fiction. Yes. Too, because some of the other ones have the science fiction elements in it, but there's other things going on, and uh, they, they end up being more like dramas or whatever. This this is like pure science fiction, and it, it's really great science fiction. I mean, this uh, you can't get much better than this. Yeah, and I know um, later in the season, actually not too far away from where we are now, episode-wise, there's going to be some more soon that are going to get more sci-fi and I'm looking forward to those as well. I mean, not that I haven't liked the rest of them. Like I, t- like I told you, last week's episode tickled me because I was not expecting it to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, and the one coming up this next week is a very iconic episode. Probably, 
like and when you say Twilight Zone, people think of this one more than almost anything any other episode. Yeah. Um, which is weird that it's like the eighth one of the series. You know, like it just feels like, wow, like you came out of the gate swinging hard and this is the one everyone remembers, which is uh, uh, Time Enough at Last. Uh, Burgess Meredith, very, very uh, iconic episode, which we'll find something to say about it, I'm sure. Like it's but it's the one that everyone remembers. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. I've seen this one multiple times. Um, it's still been a few years and this is one of my favorites as well. So I'm looking forward to this. And I know that we're going to try to get uh, a guest on the show for this one. So look out yeah, for that. I, I don't want to announce it yet yeah. until we have it all finalized. But um, hopefully we'll have a guest from a really awesome podcast coming on. It's, join it's us going for to be that the, one. the ghost of Burgess Meredith because he's not doing anything right now. So we're going yeah. to get him on the well, show. <laughs> I, did, I didn't know the ghost of Burgess Meredith was hosting a podcast. but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has a lot of time now. It's, it's more about just all his times he was in Grumpy Old Men. And uh, that's that's really him and Walter Matthau. It's a good, it's a good listen. No, um, so <laughs> anyway. Anyway, Kevin, if you could just uh, be so kind and tell everybody how to contact us on our social media. For sure. Uh, find us on Facebook, Strange Highways. Um, Paul's always posting great photos and quotes and things up there, so you can go check us out on there. Um, subscribe to us and rate us and review us on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher Radio. Uh, email us, uh, us with anything at uh, strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you guys. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, that's going to do it for us uh, this week. Uh, have a good week. Um, you know, maybe go do some uh, checkers and chill. I don't know. Um, <laughs> with, with, with your a robot, you know, just whatever. Just, you know, just keep it to yourself. That's all. <laughs> well, seeing as it's going to be like upper 80s here in Cleveland the rest of this weekend, uh, this was a good way to kick it off uh, watching a story that takes place in Death Valley. So exactly. Quite that, appropriate. That's a good call. All right. So, uh, yeah, until next week, uh, just have a safe week and we'll see you then. See you guys. Corey. 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 Corey.